Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Here's what we'll be talking about, an update on the Kansas wheat harvest with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. A look at the markets as we're a week away from the big June crop report. Arlen Suderman with Stone X will join us. And we'll get a crop update, how things are looking in the St. Joe, Missouri area, as Missouri farmer Gene Millard will join us later on the program. But we're going to start it off with a busy uh, news segment as we talk it over with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, thanks for joining us. Good to be here, Mike. Thank you. lot going on. Uh, first of all, Pipelines are always in the news. Bring us up to date on the uh, lawsuit concerning the Dakota Access Pipeline. Yeah, well, Mike, you know, uh, we've had a lot of legal action ongoing in the Dakota Access issue. Um, it had been stuck in a federal court in D.C., and then uh, there was a public court in D.C. as well that had been uh, taking on some of the cases involved. Uh, yesterday, the D.C. Circuit Court, uh, the District Court, excuse me, uh, had dismissed this case, uh, filed against Dakota Access, and it had been ongoing for a while. Uh, one of the things that came up uh, along the way is that Dakota Access uh, hadn't conducted uh, or hadn't had an easement, rather, to, to uh, operate the pipeline. Um, and so the court had allowed uh, the U.S. Corps of Army Engineers to continue to, uh, looking at you know, the environmental effects of this pipeline, and it also was allowing the pipeline to remain open. Uh, well, that court yesterday uh, dismissed the case outright, uh, basically saying that since the Corps of Engineers is providing public updates on what it's doing, uh, that there was no need for the legal action. But it did leave open the possibility uh, that as you know, the Corps of Engineers completes its environmental review, that uh, the case could come back to this particular court. Um, so we'll wait and see. But uh, for now, this particular case is, is done for. All right. Uh, meanwhile, we know the Biden administration wants to change the WOTUS rule. We've got some uh, members of Congress uh, speaking out on this, don't we? Yeah, you know, Mike, we had uh, Senators Ernst, Grassley, and, and Braun of Indiana. Uh, they're introducing what they call the Defined WOTUS Act. Um, you know, if you followed this situation over the years, we've seen it back and forth. Uh, started in the Obama years when they introduced the WOTUS rule. Uh, then when the Trump, Trump administration came in, they basically threw out and rewrote the, the WOTUS rule. And now the Biden administration is attempting to throw out the Trump rule and, and rewrite. Uh, there's an act that's been uh, offered in the Senate that would basically offer a permanent, what they say is a permanent definition of WOTUS. Now, um, you know, this also would be subject to legal to legal challenges and so forth. But uh, this is probably something that's probably been overdue for a while. Uh, there's never really been a clear uh, a clear path when it came to what uh, waters of the U.S., how it was defined. Um, you know, and so there's always been a thought that legislatively this could be taken care of. Uh, you know, the Clean Water Act was written back in the 70s, um, you know, and it's faced a number of legal challenges, as you know, for, for many years. And so uh, this is the latest along the way that, you know, if we get a bill that actually 
puts forward a definition, uh, you know, there's some thought that that might calm the water, so to speak. Uh, we have learned many times in the past that uh, something that the government says is permanent doesn't last, right? I mean, it, it'll get changed right. again somewhere along the line. You, you can just count on it. Um, meanwhile, here's another issue, uh, the cattle market issue. Uh, producers have long had their complaints about the system. Yeah. Well, now the government is looking to maybe get involved. I don't know if that should be reassuring or not. I mean, it's kind of reassuring that they're finally taking it seriously, but uh, I don't, I'm not right. sure if government involvement will fix it or not, but uh, they're looking at it. Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's some, in fact, a hearing today in Congress talking about some of the market concentration issues and so on. Um, you know, the one thing you can say, though, this is an issue in terms of the cattle markets. It's been out there for a very long time. Uh, there's not been a lot of things done on the, on the federal level. Um, and so, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing that we're actually talking about it, but uh, it's a very complicated situation. I, I don't think it's something that can be fixed overnight. Uh, you know, there just seems to be a lot of incongruities in the market between uh, what producers are receiving for their cattle, you know, what consumers are paying in the store, uh, you know, and what the packers are making um, in this in this industry. And so it's a big issue. It's a very large, complicated issue. Um, you know, at least we're talking about it. But, you know, whether there's a solution out there that's really going to work for everybody, I, that's that's a wide open question. Yeah, we will see. Meanwhile, and you could kind of see this coming. I, I've been concerned for some time with all the push on on the climate issues that uh, mm -hmm. there was this there was this line of thinking out there, this uh, uh, debate going on about what causes climate uh, change, of course, and all that. But there was this line of thinking, uh, an agenda being pushed that uh, one way to save the planet is to stop eating meat, and these animal rights groups are right. going to push that. Well. We're seeing them now, especially in some Western states, uh, trying to use that kind of thinking and that kind of uh, that line of reasoning to try to get some things passed that basically would be uh, to cut back or eliminate meat consumption and in, in, in their words, to help slow climate change. You could kind of see this coming. I think this is a big issue the livestock industry will need to address. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that, Mike. You know, I, I think environmental groups have always been kind of the wild card when it comes to you know, discussions in ag. It's not just this issue, but a lot of other issues. Uh, but you're right. This is one of those things that I think has kind of always been kind of, you know, looming the possibility that uh, the cattle industry could be targeted on this front. Um, you know, it's not just it's not just the consumption of meat, but it's, you know, methane emissions. We've heard a lot about that as well. Um, and so it, you know, it really, at this point, I think you're right. I think it needs to be, uh, it needs to be something the industry is going to have to tackle head on and, you know, it's just one other one other problem to add uh, to the cattle industry at this point. I think, you know, every time you turn around, it seems like there's another direction things are headed. And the meat, you know, the meatless thing is something that I think, uh, you know, the industry seems to have pretty gotten, you know, gotten a pretty good grasp of it, you know, you know, and how to respond to it. But, but you're right, this climate issue uh, is a big deal. Yeah, these animal rights groups, they they see an opportunity here, and they're going to try yeah. to jump on it. So. I have to watch that closely. Uh, real quick, the labor issue, it's affecting er almost everything in our lives, right? I mean, there's seems like there's backups, uh, shortages of, on so many things because of a lack of labor. Yeah, you know, Mike, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we're seeing a number of states 
uh, do away with the, with the extra COVID benefit when it comes down to employment claims and so on and so forth. But you're right. You hear a lot about, uh, you know, in agriculture in particular, there's always a, a great need for, for labor, um, you know, whether it be from, from across the border or whatever the case may be. And I think that, you know, that this is a big issue that I, I don't think it has a lot of necessarily quick answers either. You know, it's just something that, you know, there's always a need for, for workers on the farm. And, and it's, uh, you know, I just don't think it's ever going to cease. All right. Good to talk with you, Todd. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, an update on the Kansas wheat harvest. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Waters of the U.S. back in the news. Let's talk it over with Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. It took four years to get that controversial 2015 Obama rule changed. Now this administration proposing to change it again. What are your thoughts? We just can't believe after arduous four-year effort to fix this controversial rule, thought we were done with it, and now we learn we're not. It looks like the Biden administration is wanting to go back to something in the 2015 uh, rule range. And when I traveled the countryside during that period, there was nothing more opposed by farmers and landowners out there than that original 2015 rule. Unfortunately, it looks like there is an effort to go back and use that as a basis again. And I think agriculture will rise up once again in strong opposition to this. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Kansas wheat harvest underway. We talked last week with Kansas Kansas wheat CEO Justin Gilpin. Things were just getting going, so we have a little more information now. Justin, thanks for joining us. Uh, How's it going? Hey, good to be with you this morning, Mike. I'd say things are starting to get really rolling uh, throughout a lot of parts of the state of Kansas. I would uh, I think the USDA had Kansas at 13% harvested uh, as of the, their report on Monday. I would I would say we're kind of inching up to that 20 to 25% uh, where we're at here about this part middle of the week right now. Any weather problems or delays? Well, you know, we had uh, the, some rain showers that came through uh, Sunday night that did. It was more of a pause, though, if you think uh, that and it was a welcome rain, Mike. It's been really dry down here in our mm-hmm. Our row crops were really needing needing a drink, so I don't think our farmers were complaining at all to get a little bit of pause in wheat harvest. But it it's, it kept farmers out of the field probably for a good part of Monday. But things are really picking up and going. Uh, we were getting reports uh, as combines were cutting in southwest Kansas yesterday. Uh, they're cutting in, uh, down around uh, Hugoton. Uh, the uh, Garden City area is getting going just south of Dodge City, if you think about Kansas, that's that southwest corner just above the moving moving up out of the northwest uh, panhandle area at Oklahoma. And it's really going strong in the central corridor, the I-35 corridor. Uh, so we're starting to see a lot of variability coming in as far as yields and quality. But uh, for the most part, I think everybody's pretty excited about having uh, an average, above average crop and, and pretty good prices as we're going across the scale with this year's harvest plan. Yeah, you gave us some uh, early yield numbers uh, last week. Uh, what have you been hearing since then? Well, I think it's still kind of right around the same. You know, I, when we had that wheat tour back in May, there was really some, uh, some, I think they saw that crop at its highest potential. And so there was some a lot of high expectations because of how things were looking with the wet, cool weather we were having in May and how the crop was was looking at that point in time but uh with the record temperatures we had that shut this crop down so fast and then we're hearing a lot about the disease pressure stripe rust that that was pretty prevalent throughout a lot of the areas in the southern plains uh that uh, it probably took a top end off of the uh, off of the yield and so south central kansas you know had a really good year last year so a lot of the comments are their uh, the crop is pretty good that's not quite what they had last year and maybe not what they were maybe hoping for, but it's kind of in that 45 to 60 bushel range, which we would consider, you know, average to a little bit above average uh, for for Kansas. Um, As we're starting to move a little bit further west, I think the expectation is we're going to start seeing a little bit higher yields uh, just just because uh, that crop might have benefited a little bit more, avoided some of those higher temperatures uh, that shut that crop down. Uh, so I think everybody's kind of waiting to see what some of these uh, some of the yield reports that start coming in in this week. Uh, but for overall, I'd say it's an average above average crop, kind of the 40 to 60 bushel yields. Not uh, you know the state of Kansas record yields were 57 bushels per acre. That was set back in 2016. Uh, USDA's most recent estimate for Kansas was about a 52 bushel per acre average. 
Um, if I had to put a if I had to put a bet on it right now, Mike, with you and me, I would say that it's probably going to fall somewhere in between. Not quite the record yield yield for the state of Kansas, but maybe a little bit better than uh, the June first estimate by USDA. Mm-hmm. And quality. You know, overall, the quality is getting a lot of attention just because, uh, you know, we we are having a little bit lower protein. Uh, there was a lot of 10 and 11 protein hard red winter wheat that's being cut in that south central corridor. Last year, that, that area averaged about 11.4, so it is a little bit, which was below average to start with. And so uh, a little bit lower protein in those areas. So that's why you're starting to see these protein premium spreads starting to widen out. The Kansas City Milling High Side Basis Committee yesterday, that's what gets posted every day for the spot basis committee that flour mills are buying protein on. Uh, they widen that spread out from an 11 protein to a 13 protein by almost 70 cents. Now, that, part of that is being factored in because of the lower protein crop that's been coming in in Kansas. But then also the severe drought and potential uh, crop shortfall that may happen with the spring wheat may put a pretty good premium on protein wheats this year is uh, what a lot of people are uh, kind of anticipating what that spread widening out might might mean. So for producers farther north, uh, I know it's uh, really hope you guys can catch a rain, uh, but keep an eye on these markets because the, the if you do have a crop and you do have some protein, good milling quality uh, could be one of those years where uh, you might be able to capture a little bit extra value, Mike. We're talking with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. I was going to ask you, uh, what about the condition of the spring wheat crop? Well, I think that we're we're hearing quite a bit of of uh, really uh, tough conditions, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why the market's responding the way it is. And you know, not just in uh, not just in the Dakotas and the spring wheat areas, and over into Montana. Uh, but I think what's getting a lot of attention is the historical, historically bad crop condition ratings that are coming out of the PNW. Uh, if you think about the state of Oregon, Washington, and the northern part, part of Idaho, uh, those areas that grow a lot of soft white, well, soft white wheat that, of course, China's bought a lot of this year. So uh, there was a drawdown on the carryover stocks of that crop already. But with uh, uh, the 100-year drought conditions that they're suffering with right now, uh, the potential shortfall with that crop is also uh, what what's being a, a market impact right now that uh, everybody's trying to keep an eye on. Yeah, one challenge right after another. What's your forecast looking like? Well, I think that, uh, you know, we've got those rains that went through the early part of the week uh, that were welcome, but they weren't really enough to keep uh, combines out of the field for very long. Uh, so that's why we're we're rolling again today. Uh, it looks like things are going to be heating up again uh, through the middle of this week. Uh, so we anticipate, uh, you know, maybe uh, here about three strong days of good wheat harvest weather. Uh, there is some forecast for storms potentially to come come back through uh, on uh, Friday and Saturday. We've got 100-degree temperatures today with a, a strong south wind blowing. Uh, that strong south wind blowing is blowing in some humidity from uh, from the Texas Gulf. Uh, so that uh, that that might, uh, if a front comes through with uh, that humidity that's blowing in and the high temperatures we have, uh, that usually is and down in our area. Mike, that's usually what uh, is the right conditions to kind of stir up a pretty good thunderstorm. So I think everybody will be keeping an eye on the weather uh, here this uh, Thursday night and Friday night. Is there'll be potential pockets for some for some storm, and hopefully, uh, hopefully producers can avoid any of uh, severe weather. 
overall, how how would you say harvest has been going, Justin? Any other glitches or bottlenecks or problems? No, I think one thing we're getting we're starting to see a little bit more and hearing more about is the dockage is a little bit higher. Uh, I think the the wheat crop is uh, thrashing just a little bit harder uh, for whatever reason. Uh, some people think it was because of how fast that crop shut down with the high temperatures that we had. And probably a unique thing that we I, that I personally haven't seen a lot of. I think maybe in the northern states uh, that's something that might be a little more common. But this year we're seeing a lot of wheat that's ripe and very dry. It's eleven percent moisture, but we still have green stems on a lot of these on a lot of these fields that are being harvested. That's making it thrash a little bit harder, uh, and that's kind of leading to a little bit more of the the dockage uh, dockage issues. But I've been told that a lot of that is due because there was so much fungicide application because of stripe rust that came in, and, and we're really seeing the impact of where these fields that were managed a little bit more intensively with fertilizer and treated with fungicide. They're definitely on the top end of the yield spectrum and then showing a little bit better quality. Uh, but uh, that it's a unique factor how that fungicide will actually keep that plant alive and healthy, and that's why that that stem stays a little bit green, but uh, but that the grain has gone ahead and has been uh, matured and dried down and, and ready for harvest. Interesting. All right, Justin, thanks a lot. We'll check in again next week, but uh, uh, sounds like, uh, as you said, you might get a few more days here, really all-out harvest before the weather may slow things down, so we'll see how that all plays out. We'll talk again next week, get some more numbers from you, okay? Yeah, I look forward to it, Mike. I hope uh, hope all of uh, those wheat, spring wheat farmers that are needing to catch a rain and the row crops that are needing to catch a rain, I sure hope that uh, sure hope that the rain finds finds their fields. And uh, thanks again for everything that you do for agriculture, Mike. If you just find a way to get it to to just um, rain on those area, <laughs> dry areas that need it and uh, avoid those areas where you're harvesting, you'd be in good shape, right? Oh, exactly right, Mike. Uh, that is the, the trials and tribulations of farming, for sure. Yeah, we don't want much, do we? <laughs> All right, Justin, thanks a lot. Thank you. See you. Justin Gilpin, CEO, Kansas Wheat. All right, a little bit later on, we're going to check crop conditions around the St. Joe, Missouri area and see how things are looking there. But up next, we're going to talk markets just a week away from the big June crop report. We're going to talk markets with Arlen Suderman with StoneX next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. 
Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Yesterday, both spec funds and weather traders agreed to sell. According to StoneX, estimate spec funds were net sellers of 10,000 contracts of corn and 15,000 contracts of soybeans on Tuesday. This morning, we are seeing mixed to mostly higher futures on the Board of Trade. September corn trading a penny lower at 552, the December contract down a penny at 538. For soybeans, the August contract up five and a half cent at 1357 and a half cent November up four and three quarters at 1307 for wheat Chicago wheat September up 12 and a half cent at 667 and a half cent Kansas City wheat September up 17 and a fraction at 623 and a fraction Minneapolis spring wheat July up 22 at 805 the September contract up 20 and a half cent at 803 and a fraction livestock futures finally closed higher in all categories on Tuesday cattle were urged higher due to higher cash prices in the country Asking prices are around $124 in the south and $202 in the north. It is possible that trade may develop at some point today. Beef cutouts are expected to be lower with light to moderate box movement. Hogs bounced technically but were supported by higher cash. On the Board of Trade, August live cattle up 72 cents at 123.90. October trading 62 cents higher at 129 even. For feeders, August up 20 at 158.55. September down 7 cents at 16027 for lean hogs the October contract down 80 cents at 8460 the August contract a dollar 60 lower at 10210. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 38 points, the Nasdaq composite up 61, the S&P 500 up 9, crude oil, New York, the July contract up 95 cents at 73.80 per barrel, the U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we talk it over now with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. Arlen, thanks for joining us uh, Help us make sense of what what's going on with the markets right now. What's what what's moving the markets one way or the other? What should we be focused on? It's a weather market, and uh, traders, and I'm going to say institutional traders in particular, may not know what a corn plant or soybean plant looks like, or a wheat plant, are trying to make sense of the weather and what impact that will have. And uh, we're in a transition period right now. First of all, we had one of the hottest and driest. 
uh, start to the summer on record for much of the Midwest, focused on the Northern Plains, Northwestern Midwest. Then that all transitioned now to a period where the high pressure, massive high pressure, is focused on the Pacific Northwest, and then we have a very strong Bermuda high pressure. And in between them now is getting sandwiched an area of low pressure that these highs are together pulling Gulf moisture up into that area where cold fronts will stall out across this low pressure zone that stretches kind of across the Midwest. And over the next eight to nine days, that area could see uh, upwards of five, six, seven, eight, maybe even eight or nine inches of rain in some locations. Now, the heavy rains are going to be very valuable for some areas that have been very dry, although we could get to the point of excessive rains that create problems as well. Northwest and southeast of that area, very little rain falling. And then after this eight or nine day period, it looks like, according to the atmospheric drivers right now, that high pressure will reestablish itself again over the northern plains, southern Canadian prairies, shutting off the main trigger mechanisms for rain. There will still be plenty of moisture in the atmosphere, but just convective storms like what we had before that kind of hit or miss. And we go hot, kind of a hot dry bias again as we head into the pollination period for much of the Midwest. So these rains are going to be critical. Uh, it looks like the eastern Midwest is going to have a good crop this year. It looks like the northwestern Midwest is going to have a very disappointing year. Now we determine what happens in the central Midwest. Does it contribute to the problems of the northwest, or does it contribute to the above trend yields in the southeast? And the trade's just kind of fi trying to figure out how this is all going to shape up over the next few weeks. Yeah, a lot remains to be seen. But at this point, as we are just a week left in June, I mean, it's hard to imagine a record crop, right? I mean, with so many problems in, in, in that western area, it, it would take exceptional crops other places to make up for that. And I, I don't know, it doesn't sound like it's the exceptional is widespread enough to, to say we'd have a record crop. But we came in knowing we needed a, a pretty big crop. So how, how does the market feel about that if it's not a record crop do they feel it's just going to be a very good crop and that's going to be enough yeah i think you said it accurately uh an above trend yield for the nation as a whole seems highly unlikely at this point and i would say that we're looking at a below trend crop the big question is now it's going to be answered over the next few weeks to some extent uh is how much below and um, that will say a lot. And, and how much can we afford to drop below is going to be determined by what USDA eventually says, how small is a Brazilian crop, and then what happens to that shortfall? Does that shortfall come to the United States to get filled? Does it all flip to wheat feeding? Um, that's going to be a key as well. Um, but right now, I think most people are looking at a final crop somewhere in the 170s, although if things go really wrong in the central Midwest, it could be much below that too. So there's still an awfully lot at stake here, but an above-trend yield for the nation as a whole is highly unlikely. And we're talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. All right, what are you expecting from USDA next week, and what are you going to be most focused on? 
Well, I'm expecting corn acreage to be around 92.85 million acres. There are some that are obviously much higher than that. Um, my soybean acreage number is probably going to be around 89.5 million acres. I'm putting the final touches on it today. Um, that's probably higher than what some people think. But as I look at the Midwest as a whole, I think we saw some continuous corn go into soybeans. There were some areas that increased corn, but I think one thing to note is the area where we increased both corn and soybean acres the most is the areas where we're struggling the most with dry weather and other adverse weather effects. Um, so that's going to hurt our production capabilities. But nonetheless, I think both corn and soybean acres go up. I do not see them going up beyond what the market has already priced in. The market is focused on those acreage numbers, but it's taken its eye off of the stocks numbers, the quarterly stocks numbers, and particularly for corn, I think we could be set up for some big surprises there. You say, which way will the surprises be? When it comes to USDA, the surprises that come in the stocks reports defy logic. I can pretty much predict where the surprises will be in the WASDE reports, but for the quarterly stocks reports, they tend to defy logic. It'll be interesting, that's for sure. Uh, let's look at the business side. How are our sales going? Well, sales are starting to pick up again. We, Chinese traders love to trade bull markets, and so they will chase prices higher. But once that bull market ends, which it did back in the first week or 10 days of May, then they tend to pull back and wait for prices to come down to them, and they've been doing that. We're now seeing them come back into the market, especially for new crop soybeans. They've got a lot of corn already on the books from a buying surge that they did in May. Now they're starting to come back for new crop soybeans. We saw the first flash reports this week that we've seen for soybeans, the daily flash reports since April. And uh, generally, we've seen around 24 million bushels of sales that have been announced so far. We think that probably about a million metric tons has been sold to them for October delivery and another million metric tons for November. So that means there's quite about a million metric tons is 36.7 million bushels. So that means there's probably quite a few more sales yet to be announced in the days ahead. Uh, and that'll help bring the focus back to the soybean market, which has been getting the short end of the stick now for a while. Arlen, we've got a lot of... Uh backups and pipelines across this country. I'm not about just about anything you go to buy, it seems like now there may be a waiting period or a shortage or certainly higher prices. It's we know about the ports, especially on the west coast, the backup there and the log jam that's created. How serious do you think this is for agriculture? Well, I think it's significant, and it's, it's, the question comes down to inflation and how significant that's going to be, because uh, producers like the inflation of the values of the commodities they sell, but they don't like the inflation in the inputs that they have to purchase, and that's a part of it as well. Um, so far, and we heard from the Fed chair yesterday, Jerome Powell, he's just saying, oh, the only reason we have higher prices is because of the supply line disruptions that are a product of strong demand coming out of the pandemic. And there's a lot of evidence that that is 
that portion of it is true, but he's totally overlooking any effects that would be from the tremendous unprecedented fiscal and monetary stimulus that's put unprecedented increases in money supply into the consumer's hands. He seems to believe that supply and demand will quickly be brought into balance once these supply chains can be flowing smoothly again. And there are some areas where that will be true. Um, but my argument is, as an economist, that as long as we keep putting so much money in the consumer's hands, that that demand is going to continue to be strong, supporting strong inflation going forward. Uh, that's the big debate that only time will hold, that time will answer. Uh, my bias is that uh, we're looking at much more prolonged inflation. It's going to be an issue for both supporting commodity prices, but also input costs for farmers, and eventually, maybe much higher interest rates for farmers, too, that they're going to have to guard against that risk. And we're already seeing nearly half of the voting members of the Fed starting to part their ways with Jerome Powell and starting to side with those interest rate hike probabilities. Mm, that'll be interesting. Yeah, you, I understand wanting higher wages, obviously. But if if you get that, and along with that, everything you go to buy costs more, how much do you really gain in that? Yeah, exactly right. And wage inflation over the last four quarters has been the strongest of the last 40 years. Um, and wage inflation does not go away. It stays built in. Um, so it's not like other inflation that can go away once supply lines start to refocus. And that's another one of the arguments I make, that this is more of a prolonged inflation period. Um, it's, it's really a debate about modern monetary theory in Washington, D.C. right now, where policymakers there believe that uh, uh, Congress can spend as much as it wants, and the Fed, therefore, has to print the money and can print as much money as it wants in order to support the borrowing necessary for that spending uh, with no ill effects. And if inflation starts to get high, they can control that with higher taxes. That's a massive academic experiment they're putting the United States through that had better work, because if it doesn't, the consequences will probably be felt for generations. Yeah, I think the risk of very high consequences for sure. Real quick, so you see the market staying choppy? I, I see it staying very choppy, as we said back in February, with these expanded uh, position limits and the unprecedented amount of money in the markets and trying to figure out what's going to happen. I, I think that there is probably more upside risk than downside risk near term until we figure out what the effect of this weather pattern is going to be. And it's not going to be good for the northwestern Midwest, probably good for the southeast. Where is it going to net out? And I think we're still going to have very tight stocks for the next year. All right, Arlen, thanks a lot. We'll talk again after the big crop report next week. Thank you. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. All right, we start checking around uh, the country, see how crop conditions are and what the how things are looking we'll start today in st joe missouri we'll talk with missouri farmer gene miller next on aoa hi this is mike adams you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture don't go away more adams on agriculture coming right up As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. 
your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association with us. All right, the Department of Agriculture is unveiling three proposed rules that they say will strengthen enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards Act. 
Any concerns about what you're seeing and hearing on this? We do have some concerns, especially in regards to revisiting the old GYPSA rule. And all of your listeners who have had any sort of engagement with the cattle industry over the past decade will remember the big fight that that brought forward. And just as a recap, the original GYPSA rule that was a result of the 2008 Farm Bill and ended up manifesting itself in the 2010 rule that uh, we then spent a lot of time and effort fighting, basically would put USDA in the driver's seat in determining how producers can or cannot market their cattle. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, as we start looking around uh, the country at the uh, condition of this year's corn and soybean crops, uh, let's check in in the St. Joe, Missouri area. Gene Miller joins us now. Gene, thanks for being with us. How do, how do crops look on your farm? Well, thank you, Mike. Well, it's uh, kind of a mixed bag uh, because we had such a stretched out uh, planting season. But as of today, I'd say our corn looks uh, kind of as good as we could expect it to be for this area. And it certainly uh, come to life here with some growing degree days, finally, after a long cold spell, because, you know, we had uh, we planted corn for one day, and then it turned wet, and then it snowed about two weeks later. And so it, it was a long, drawn-out uh, planting season on the corn. But it, it's really got down, you know, hitting the nitrogen. In fact, we're going to try to do some uh, split application uh, top dress of some liquid in uh here today so it uh, should be in, in pretty good shape we're just hoping for a rain here this weekend do you have rain in your forecast a little bit yeah we have some thunderstorms in the forecast starting tonight all the way through friday uh i don't like them when they say they've got the chance for hail as they bad out mm-hmm. west of us but uh right now we can sure use a good drink of water because the only rain we've had was one shower here about 10 days ago, and, and it was a half inch or seven tenths, and it all arrived in about five to seven minutes. So it just was a deluge, but it really had no chance to really do any good uh, long run, but it was better than nothing. I, I suppose that was a day that we got that, and, and Kenny McCauley didn't get anything on his side of the river, so... Everything will have a 10 feet equal out over time. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking with St. Joe, Missouri farmer Gene Millard. All right, how do your beans look? Uh, beans are very, very uneven. Uh, it, it was just so cold early and uh, wet and cold after we got started planting on May the 6th. And it just, they didn't seem like they wanted to grow until it finally warmed up. And we had, again, a very split planting season there because we, we started planting on May 6th and wrapped up on June the 6th. So it was a kind of a stretched out deal. So there's a lot of soybeans that are not shoot up high uh, around the area here. If they're just getting started right yet. I'm guessing the weeds are wanting to grow, though, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The water hemp is growing faster than the soybeans. And so uh, that's always something we have to fight in this area. But uh, our, our really our pre-emerge and early burn-down herbicides held really well because of that long stretch of cool weather 
And uh, but it after warmed up while everything started coming to life, and we tried to get a second uh, pass or post freight uh, on most of them uh, here this week, and and some of the later pilots will wait a week or so. Kind of amazing when you think back. I mean, we're still in June. It's amazing how much this crop has gone through already this year. Oh yeah, we've had uh, two or three reasons for stress. We had about a week or so. Or so of temperatures in the mid-90s to near 100, and that really, uh, well, it put a little black-green color in the corn, but it sure dried out that surface moisture as far as the soybeans were concerned. So it's been a real uh, up-and-down spring so far, but, you know, the year's not over, and if we have a July like last year, we'll be in great shape. Yeah, we optimistically say, you know, when it's dry in June, well, it's driving those roots down, and that'll pay off in the long run if... Then, if the yeah. other part of that is you get some rains in July and August, right? Right, right, and and we certainly missed the the August rains last year on the beans. But uh, at any rate, it, it there's good opportunity yet. But I don't see that we're we're set for a record crop. I I drive. I live in St. Joe. My farm is 25 miles east, and I drive back and forth every day, and so I get to see a lot of different fields in the area. And, and I would say the soybeans, by and large, just look ragged. Some of them have poor weed control. I uh, haven't got to them on the over-the-top over spray yet. And uh, it just, it's very uneven on the soybeans. I know they have neighbors got some really early planted beans back there on about the 5th, 6th of April. Uh, and they look really good. So it's it's all over the board. Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen a lot of that, too. It seems like this bean crop in many places uh, has kind of been slow to come on. Hopefully, I mean, it still has time, obviously, but it, it's been a slow start, hasn't it? It's been a real slow start. I mean, when it snowed in April the 20th, uh, it took a while. And then it turned so cold and damp and wet. And uh, so it was a really... Uh, a challenge um, when you're running the planter, and thank goodness my son is the expert planter operator, and uh, checking out deep to get that seed to ground to hit moisture, and you don't want to plant them too deep, or you know, or you, they get crusted under and are kind of soil tight. But you know, if they were planted too shallow, then it would get that week of 95 to 100 degree weather, and that that dried it out. But if they got a root system developed, while well, they're going to come on. We just need a little more moisture right now. Thankfully, the temperatures are moderated. Rain without storms, that would be ideal, right? That's ideal. Now, in that 90 to 5 to 100 degree weather stretch, we did get a lot of our hay bailed without any problem. One day bailed the next, you know, because it just air dried so fast. And how was the hay crop? Is that good hay crop this year? I'd say the hay crop is pretty decent. you know, it's not as good as, as it has been in some years because it was just way too cold for that uh, crop to come on real strong. But uh, we're going to be in good shape, uh, a lot better shape than so many of the guys out west that are really struggling with drought that is much more severe than what we've had here so far this year. But the year's not All a- right. Well, Gene, hope you get the rain without the storms. Thanks a lot. Okay. Have a great one, Mike. Thanks for calling. Take care. St. Joe, Missouri farmer Gene Millard with a crop condition report for his area. Tomorrow, I will be in Decatur, Illinois at the Farm Progress Show site. We will preview this year's Farm Progress Show coming up at the end of August, 1st of September in Decatur. And also get a Illinois crop condition report as well, especially throughout central 
Illinois. That's coming up on tomorrow's program. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great day, everyone. Be safe. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.